The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. The show today is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC and you'll be able to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. I mentioned on yesterday's show, which by the way, Len Shapiro was on with me, Tommy. I really like Len. He was great. Uh, he broke a couple of, I, don't, I shouldn't say he broke. He gave me two things that I had never heard of that I'm going to ask you if you you heard uh, about previously in a moment. But I mentioned uh, in my my bookie read that Washington, Arizona in week one has the lowest over-under total of any game at 39.5 by a full point to a point and a half. And I said, nobody's really expecting much offensively from either one of these two teams with Colt McCoy and Sam Howell at quarterback in the opener. And a couple of people took exception to it, including Denny. Denny writes, Sheehan, can you leave Sam Howell alone? In his only start, they put up 26 against the Cowboys. You're right, I forgot about that big season-ending offensive output. By the way, didn't they have a pick six in that game? Didn't Kendall Fuller have a pick six? There was a defensive touchdown in that game. I think there was. I, I think there was. Yeah. You know, but the point is that you weren't making a big deal, but you were just reporting the fact. Yeah, I just, I just said clearly the odds makers are not expecting, yes. you know, an offensive shootout. They're not expecting Chargers, you know, uh, Dolphins from the early '80s. That's not what they're expecting. No. Or Chiefs Rams no, from are- a couple of years ago. These are children throwing tantrums about <laughs> Sam Howe. I mean, really, it's what it is. I mean, that's a tantrum. That's don't you know? Cover my ears and go la 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 la. That's what that's what they're doing. <laughs> um, I'll just remind Denny that Dallas's punter dropped a snap that set up the first score. Uh, Kendall Fuller had a pick six in the game, uh, so that's basically fourteen of the twenty-six. Well. If you get a bunch of defensive touchdowns and a bunch of turnovers, you can get a game to go over. But the bottom line is, of all of the Week 1 games, this is supposed to be the lowest scoring game of Week 1. 
Uh, hey, maybe they'll soar over the total in week two at Denver. The total will be 58 and a half because Sam Howell is going to have 400 yards and six touchdowns in week one. Uh, go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Use my promo code Kevin DC. So, so, Tommy, uh, for those that, you know, and there were still a few stragglers there at the end saying, I'll believe it when I see it. And we don't have the vote yet from Thursday in Minneapolis, and we don't have at this point the actual closing and the wiring of money. But Mark Maskey, Nikki, uh, Nikki Javala yesterday reporting that the NFL Finance Committee met remotely on Monday and voted informally to recommend approval of Josh Harris's deal. And also that attorneys for the NFL and for Dan Snyder reached an agreement that resolved their remaining legal issues. So any sort of hurdles uh, left have been cleared and the sale is expected to close as soon as Friday. So here we are. Amazing, actually, that now, we're actually here. Now, when they when they reported they met remotely, does that mean they re, they met in a real place for, real far away, or or did they meet electronically? I think it means they met electronically. It's possible that they were in Wildwood, New Jersey, meeting on Monday, <laughs> um, which is where you were, I think, over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, but no, yes, I, I, I think it means that the NFL Finance Committee didn't meet remotely in Sudan. I think well, it was just because remotely means you know Zoom. if somebody's remote, they're far away. Yes, well, they may have been far away. They may have been far away. Um, so look, you know, I know a lot of people have have sort. Of, I, Doc, as an example, I was talking to Doc the other day, um, and he just said. I'm not, I still I still don't believe it. I said, "Yes, you do. You know this is happening." And he said, "No, I know I know Dan well enough to know that uh, you know something could be coming here at the end to 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 blow up the whole deal." Um, but I think we're going to get through this. And uh, and there was another little ditty in the Maskey and Nikki Javala story, which you know would have been a headline in any other uh, situation. And that is that Snyder met with Mary Jo White and that the Mary Jo White investigation and report is going to be released soon after the close of this sale. Uh, Remember, most people, uh, me included, thought, yeah, good luck getting Dan to sit down with you now. Uh, now that the team is on the verge of being sold and he's got a fully executed agreement. But apparently he did so, I think, earlier. Um, where where was it written? It occurred uh, this month, earlier this month, that he sat down and met with her. How cooperative Snyder was in answering investigators' questions um, was not necessarily uh, known or, or clear. Uh, but he met with Mary Jo White. That's actually a surprise. Yes. Yes, it is, but it may have been the final hurdle, to, you know, to get this thing done. You know, uh, supposedly all the questions about indemnification are out of the way now. Yeah. So I'll be real curious what the Snyder, what the Mary Jo White report has. I mean, it, like you've said this, and it, I agree with you, it could come down to this. Uh, you know, uh, who do you believe? Who does Mary Jo White believe? She doesn't. It's not a court of law, right? Okay, 
she doesn't need to convince a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, the witness, the uh, Mary uh, Tiff, Tiffany Johnston and Jason Friedman, who we, we will talk about later on, uh, who claim to be a witness, of, you know, to one of these incidents, uh, are they more credible to her, or is Dan Snyder more credible to her if he sits, if he sat there and denied everything? Yeah, I think that's, that's really. I think it's still going to come down to that. Who's more credible to her? Right. It's very possible because um, Howard has said this before. Neil has said this before that she doesn't have a conclusion to anything related to either Tiffany Johnston yes. or Jason Friedman, but that she expresses what she believes uh, likely happened. Yes. Um, yeah, that that could happen. So. We'll see. I mean, look, the NFL has been, you know, Neil keeps reminding me about this. The NFL committed to being transparent about the investigation into the Tiffany Johnston allegations. They have not committed. uh, They've committed to being transparent about the Mary Jo White investigation, but it was specific early on to the thing that, you know, sort of started it, which was that roundtable where Tiffany Johnston claimed that, you know, she was... Uh, he, he had uh, his hand on her leg underneath that table at that dinner and that he tried to, you know, shove her into, into his vehicle. Yeah, which Jason Friedman yeah. was the one witness to the latter. Yeah. Anyway, the Jason Friedman yeah. stuff that you just referred to was the first story that came out yesterday. Um, and I had uh, a reaction to that on the podcast because that was out yesterday. Uh, but... Um, uh, Friedman is suing the team for defamation. Uh, and, you know, he's suing the team and he's so suing that guy Brownlee, the attorney. You know, Brownlee was that guy, Tommy, that literally uh, put that, that nine-page letter out to the House Oversight and Reform Committee, basically blaming Bruce for everything. And you and I sat here and we talked about it, and I just I went through all of the attachments that he had to that letter, and I'm like, well, that's dated 2003, that's 2002, that's 2006. How can you put on any, any of this on Bruce? He didn't get here until the end of 2009. Yeah. The whole strategy of having that guy out there, um, I think backfired on them. Uh, we kind of felt well, that you know, in the moment. I'm curious, how many lawyers that Dan Snyder have, has employed who basically when they look back on their experience, they think, I never should have gotten, I never should have gotten involved with him, even if they cashed a big paycheck. Well, you know they did, the, I mean, the, John, they, they did that. Well, John Brownlee was a celebrated figure in the dope sick right. uh, investigation. Right. He was the federal prosecutor yeah. who tried to force the prosecution of the Sackley family uh, in that. And he was a kind of a hero in that whole story. And he looked like an idiot, you know, uh, representing Snyder in this case. I've said this before. The ironic part about this is Mary Jo White represented one of the Sackley families. Sackler. Sackler. Yes. One of the Sackler Sackler, families in that case. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Sackler. So, yeah, I mean, mean, look, I I wrote in November of 2022, I suspect the commanders will get their day in court someday, but not the one they want. And I predicted that, you know, this is exactly what would happen. 
You know, for, when the Maryland Attorney General came out with their ruling that basically said, despite, you know, wh- whatever you want to call the commander's response to it, no, no, no admission of guilt or anything like that in the agreement. But the Maryland Attorney General said, yeah, they ran a scam, they cheated fans, and they've got to pay, pay them back, which is what Jason Friedman testified to. You know, so I, I wrote in November, I said, this was coming. I mean, with that response, they were setting themselves up for for uh, a lie of defamation. Suit. Yeah, I mean, I know I know you're hung up on this, but it wasn't like they paid either, uh, you know, either Maryland or D.C. a lot of money. Um, uh, a, a million dollars between the two. Yeah, exactly. By the way, how good was Michael Keaton in Dope Sick? He was great oh, yeah. in that. Um, yeah, and I'm it, looking it was at a great series. It was a great series, and I've got the book. That was and I have not read the book yet. That was a recommendation I made to you that you actually took. Um, and Jake McDormand played John Brownlee. Yeah, John Brownlee was the U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Virginia um, yes. back then. Um, anyway, uh, he did not do a great job. Look, it's an impossible job to pitch on behalf of the Snyders to begin with. But again, I know I'm beating a dead horse. I just still don't understand why the someone didn't say to Brownlee, who at least had a brain, dude, these accusations on 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 Bruce Allen, they don't fit the timeline. It's impossible that he was responsible for all this because of the majority of allegations being before he got here. Um, but they never seemed to get that. They didn't get a lot of things um, in that pitch. Uh, I Neil in Rockville mentioned to me, he said, look, most of, if not all, of the allegations, because they were pre-Bruce, um, the statute of, uh, statute of limitations is out for the Lisa Banks clients in terms of, of suing the team. But um, for Friedman being defamed, it just happened recently. So this is yes. perhaps their opportunity, and he is a Lisa Banks client, to try to get something in, in the form of, of money out of this entire thing other than what they really accomplished, which was participating, which I would say in conjunction with a lot of fans who stopped going to the games, with a lot of owners who couldn't stand Snyder. But, you know, what really got the ball rolling towards this were, you know, many, many women coming forward bravely to talk about um, what had happened to them when they worked for the organization. Uh, But, you know, a lot of those people don't have any means of, of cashing in on that, you know, with respect to lawsuits. Anyway, uh, so anything, yeah, go ahead. Let let me talk a little bit about Thursday, July 20th, the day that, you know, will be celebrated and my own personal conundrum here. Okay. If I can do that. Yes, please. Your show. Uh, I'm not going to write about it. It's going to happen, and I'm going to be in Key West getting drunk with a bunch of guys who think the they Hemingway. look like Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> the Hemingway thing? Oh, well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Continue. So, I, I mean, I, 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 I have come to the I, – I tried to figure out a way. Well, there must be something. Maybe I can write about it, you know, but 
uh, I just know that that's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to, I won't write about this until the aftermath the following week. Why can't you write about it before? Home. Huh? Why can't you write about it before and f- figure out an angle that doesn't, you know, rely yeah, but on... Yeah, I mean, like, look, like Doc said, shit can happen. Well, th- then, they, okay. then they pull the column, but you just, you write it as if it it's done on Thursday or Friday. Look, I've, I've done that before. That They could decide to push this back to August 8th. I know. That was the other date that, that was given the owners, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Right. Looks like it's going to happen on Thursday. So it's the biggest sports story, arguably, uh, in this town. If you don't take, if you take the World Series and the Stanley Cup out of the picture uh, in the past twenty years, and I'm not going to be there for it. I'm going to be in Key West, dressed like Ernest Hemingway. So, I mean, I'm I'm sorry, but if I were your editor or your boss. I would say, you're doing what? Instead of being here to write about, as you just described to me, the biggest sports story, other than maybe the World Series and the Stanley Cup in the last two decades, you're going to go to Key West, get hammered with a bunch of dudes with beards and a Hemingway lookalike contest? No, you're not. Yes, I am. (laughs) No, you're not. Yes, I am. Uh Uh-huh. Tommy, Tommy has earned that right. Remember, just like here, I'm not an employee mm-hmm. at the paper. I'm a contractor. I know. But they, so. ch- they choose to, c- to contract with you. They could choose to contract yeah. with somebody else who might write about this story, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> whoa, what a column that guy wrote about Snyder's final days. This guy's good. You know what? I, what? Don't, I don't think that'll happen because... Whoever wrote that, when people read it, they'd say, what is this garbage? Well, they... Where's Lavero's column? Um, yeah, I, 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 look, it's not a family wedding. It's not a funeral. It's not some big <laughs> family, you know, personal event. I mean, it's a boondoggle. And, you know, and by the way, they'll have another one next year and the year after that. Uh, this in next summer there won't be uh, uh, the Snyder won't be selling the team. Yeah, we we'd have we we well, would have a talk about that one. Look, I'm upset that you're not going to be available to do the podcast on Thursday. I'm upset about that. Uh, I haven't shared that I've with you, but I'm, at, 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 I can't believe that you're going to skip the podcast. <laughs> in my life, where it doesn't matter, where I can dictate my old terms. Uh-huh. You know what, though, you've and been, those are my terms. You've been dictating your terms for a long time now. <laughs> that started years <laughs> ago, long before, long before you earned it. You love Lavero Island, period. <laughs> you don't like having people in your life telling you what to do. You love being an independent contractor. Um. All right. Well, yes, I do. If I were you, at the very least, I'd write a column that you know that could run if everything closes, so that they have something. Because what I mean, it's it's the big. What are they going to run? What is your what is that newsletter that you work for going to run on Thursday? Well, Matt Paris will write stuff. <laughs> Matt Paris Matt's will, good. will write. Will yeah, be Matt's more good. than adequate I know, to but handle all the coverage. It's not going to be one of those you know classic Lavero columns. 
with some really but good let me, lines let, let's, let's go over Let's examine this a little bit further. Okay. I've already written about the joy have. of this two other times. Well, have them run it again. I bet a lot of people didn't read the first two or three. Pick <laughs> one and have them run it again. You know, are there stages of joy like there are stages of grief? I mean, because I, I, I don't know what this one will be. I mean, I think, you know, we've celebrated this twice. I know, you're right. Now. You're right. I, I said yesterday, because I've, I've felt this way for a while now, that it's going to, when it actually closes, it's going to be a little bit anticlimactic because it's been exhausting over the last seven, eight months. Um, yes. With, you know, all of the stories that have been reported, some of which look terrible now, but like we've said all along, and you've really emphasized, it doesn't mean that when they got reported that they weren't right in the moment. Um, I... I uh, I kind of agree with you, but as we're approaching Thursday, just the idea that we may wake up on Friday or Saturday morning with a new owner of this football team, it will feel like a new day. And I think that the first two big announcements, the reporting that it was going to happen, and then we had, you know, whatever it was, two months ago, the the um, the press releases by both parties, the Harris Group and the Snyders, that the deal was completed right. and a fully executed uh, purchase agreement um, between the two existed, and we were just now waiting for the owner vote, et cetera. Um, but, you know... Here we've had over the last several weeks different reports that have popped up. Oh, here's the indemnification concerns again. Uh, you know, the Post story last week, you know, uh, had quotes in there saying this is serious. You know, this could get delayed. This could put this, uh, this could complicate this, I think was the word um, verb they used. So it is going to be over and it's going to be a new day. And by the way, what we will get, and I, I think I mentioned this yesterday, I was told that there is a planned press conference on Friday if everything closes as they expect with Josh Harris being introduced as the new owner. Um, and that'll, that'll make it seem more real than the last two times we celebrated. Yeah, yeah it will. Well... Have a, have fun, buddy. I'll be thinking of you. Oh God! And how long does this though? Is it just a one night thing? No, no, no. It it starts. Uh, I fly out. I fly in tomorrow, and there's an event Wednesday night. What's that event? Uh, there's an event Thursday, Friday, and then the final is Saturday. What? There's a running of the bulls. I mean, is there a swimsuit they, element to this? Uh, is, no, there no interview, is there an interview? Is there an interview piece? Do you have do you have to have a talent? No. Are you going to play piano? What, what you? Uh, by the way, your talent, of course, would be singing. Um, of course. What, what, I'm not sure. What do you do for three details, days or two and a half days? It, it, it's an Ernest Hemingway festival, well, and uh, I was destined to do this. This <laughs> this this is my density. As they said in Fact to the Future. <laughs> Density. Uh, well, um, good luck, I guess. Uh, it, it, it would provide, it's going to provide for very good content um, next week when you get back yeah. uh, in your final two yeah. shows before you begin summering in Spain for the month of August. <laughs> and. Um, I hope you win, and if you don't, who cares? Uh, it was right. Yeah. Look, I don't expect to win. I have the impression 
that rookies do not win this thing. There are people that come back for this year after year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just have the feeling. And, you know, like there's all kinds of I, – I, like people on – there's a Facebook page for this uh, thing. And other contestants who have done it before have been posting suggestions, uh, you know, for newbies. And one of them – one of the things I did, you know, when I was in Cuba in 99 – uh, covering the Orioles playing the Cuban national team, I met the old man, Gregorio Fuentes, from the old man in the sea. Hemingway ship. I know, you me. told me this story, yes. Right. And I have a picture of him and me. Right. You know, he was like 101 years old. This has and to be used this And a picture of him and me in his house. I mean, that's... With yeah. a, a painting of Hemingway in the background. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, well, this... You got 30 seconds to make your case. So I thought to myself, this would be great. I'll I'll blow it up, you know, to a reasonable size, and I'll bring it on stage with me when I tell the story. Because that's going to be my pitch, that story. You know? But then this other guy, this this guy said, no props. Don't bring any props on stage. Mm. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, man. You're... Look, no matter what happens, just remember, the sun also rises. It will... It will rise. It will rise even if you lose. You'll have a great time regardless. Um, sounds like fun. Uh, just remember, people, you won't have a column on Friday morning from Tom. Uh, all right. Uh, I want to tell you a couple of things that Len Shapiro mentioned to me yesterday, and I want to ask you if you had heard these things before. And then I want to talk a little bit about the moment that we knew Snyder was bad news for this franchise and for this city. Uh, We'll get to that and a lot more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Contests out in Vegas. Uh, Our good friends Tim Murray and Aaron Oster live out there. Tim does his show from the Circa. Aaron works for the Circa. Biggest and best sports book in all of Vegas. And their Circa Million is the biggest contest, NFL contest, in Vegas. One million dollars to the winner. You pick five games a week against the spread at the end of the year. The person with the best record wins a million bucks. But there are another five million dollars in prizes available during the course of the year. 
these are prizes available quarterly, weekly, etc. The person that ends up with the worst record will win a hundred grand. Uh, the Circa Million uh, is the biggest sports pool out in Vegas, other than the Circa Survivor Pool that guarantees eight million dollars to the winner or winners. Last year, two winners split. Six million dollars. Uh, a survivor pool. Most of you know what it is. The circus survivor is no different. You pick one team straight up, no point spread every week to win. If that team loses or ties, the entry is eliminated. You can only pick each team once per season. Uh, the entries for both contests are $1,000, maximum of five entries on the Circa Million, up to 10 on the Circa Survivor. Uh, here's the rub for my listeners um, and for anybody. You do have to sign up in person at a Circa Hotel in Vegas. So this is for anybody that was planning a trip to Vegas before football season starts. Get out there and sign up for it. Um, because these are exciting contests. Uh, you don't have to make your picks from Vegas uh, once you've signed up, but the Circa Million, the Circa Survivor, and the next time you're in Vegas, I just suggest you at least take a trip into the Circa Sportsbook. It is spectacular. So before we get to more on the end of Snyder, Len Shapiro uh, was great yesterday. Um, it had been a while since I had had Len on the show. You know Len really well. Len's really, you know, he started as a copy editor for The Post in 1969, Tommy. Um, and so he covered uh, as a beat reporter the Redskins of the 70s. And there were two different things he mentioned that I did not know. The first was... That George Allen technically was fired by Edward Bennett Williams following the 1977 season. But did you know that George basically lied to everybody in the organization, took a Saturday off, which was a walkthrough before a game, took a red eye near the end of the 77 season, uh, or took a flight out to L.A. to meet with Carol Rosenblum to essentially create a deal which would allow him to leave Washington at the end of that season and take the job with the Rams. My impression always was he just got to be too much to handle. You know, uh, a lot of these coaches, you know, the Marty Schottenheimers, the the Tom Coughlins, eventually they kind of run their course. Edward Bennett Williams had yeah. had it with them. He fired them. They didn't make the playoffs in 77, even though they had a very good season. They were 9-5 and five and were streaking towards the end of the season and nearly made the playoffs. I found um, this this uh, back and forth between Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek on NFL Today talking about how George Allen had done one of the best jobs of any coach in the NFL that particular season. Um, but Shapiro told me that George basically had had it with Edward Bennett Williams because they had promised him as part of his deal some ownership and he wasn't going to get it. And so he was always going to leave regardless. He did technically get fired. But did you know that? Did you know that George wanted out and wanted to go back to L.A.? I didn't know that. Uh, Len Shapiro has seen a lot in this town, a lot of sports in this town. One of my favorite sports writers uh, from the from the Washington Post. And you're right, a great guy. I did not know that uh, that George Allen basically had engineered his exit 
because he was pissed off at, at EBW. I didn't know that. And the the actual uh, trip out to L.A., he told everybody that he just had never had a chance to see his son Bruce play football at the University of Richmond, and he was going to take that Saturday to finally watch Bruce play a game. I think Bruce was a punter, right, at Richmond. Um, yes, and And so – that was what he told everybody, but he actually got onto a flight, went out to L.A., and did the deal with Rosenblum. Now, I do remember that he never made it through the following preseason, and Rosenblum, Rosenblum fired him before the regular season ever yes. started. And Len told me that the reason for that was Allen was not getting along and had pissed off Carol Rosenblum's son. By the way, I'm uh, Carol Rosenblum, Georgia Frontieri was – his wife, right? Because she eventually took over the team when he passed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. She was a showgirl. Carol Rosenblum was a piece of work, buddy. A lot of people suspect that he was murdered. I think I know this story. Tell, tell me the story again, though. Like, he, he drowned, I think, off the coast of Florida, uh, swimming in the ocean. Uh, but uh, there's people who, yeah, look, I think it's been investigated and rehashed, and nothing has ever come of it. But there are people who have believed along the way that he was killed. You know, he, he was a big-time better. He, uh, he was a big-time gambler. Hmm. Didn't, Tommy, the Rams and the Colts, Ursay and Rosenblum, didn't they swap franchises? Yes, they did. Yeah, Rosenblum was the owner of the Baltimore Colts. Right, and Ursay was the uh, owner of the Rams? Ursay had just bought the Rams, and then they immediately swapped. This was a deal that they had come up with. Uh, I'm not quite sure what was in it for Ursay to do that. I don't know all the details, but I know Rosenblum you know, wanted to be wanted the bright lights of L.A. Right. As opposed to, to the dark... Uh, smoky smokestacks of Baltimore at the time. So, uh, yeah, they did swap franchises. Interesting. Um, I didn't know the story about the drowning and that he was a big-time gambler. Uh, and, yeah. and and no one's ever gotten to the bottom of it. You know, the, a Natalie Wood situation with Carol Rosenblum, it sounds like. <laughs> um all right, so the other thing Len told me, and this one I had never heard before, he told me that Jack Kent Cook was con- seriously considering changing the name in the you know year or months before he passed, that the Super Bowl in Minneapolis impacted him a little bit. It started to gain, you know, momentum, remember, in terms of the, the, those activists that were out there, you know, trying to get the, the Redskins to change their name. And that Cook seriously considered changing the name before he passed, but he didn't do it. I had never heard that before. You know, it's funny. I never heard that before. Uh, a while back, uh, I asked Larry Latino, who used to work for Edward Bennett Williams, and was uh, a club official with, with, with the Redskins at the time. I forget what his title was. 
Larry actually has a Super Bowl ring right. in addition to a World Series ring and a Final Four. I don't know if they had rings back then for Final Four appearances. But uh, I asked him if, if EBW, which I thought would have been a natural given EBW's uh, liberal leanings, right. if they had ever considered changing the name. And Larry said not that he knew of. They had never done it. It's interesting that Cook right. then... Uh, according to Len, considered it, uh, you know, because, I mean, Cook had this reputation. He didn't particularly care what anyone thought, uh, was not necessarily subject to uh, public pressure. So I'm wondering why he would have felt the need to uh, change the name other than just the opposition that was voiced. Well, uh, Len mentioned, um, you know, that he saw dollar signs attached to that. But like I've discussed with you many times, and I think we've seen this already with the commanders, um, you know, the idea that whatever new revenue would somehow supersede the the valuation, um, you know, uh, loss was always misguided by the people that, you know, uh, really pushed for the name change, you know, the, the, other than, you know, dictionary defined, you know, drop the mic. It was, well, why wouldn't they do it? Because it'll be a financial boon to the business because of all of the new, um, you know, uh, jerseys and everything else that'll be sold. But that, that was never, um, people that understand that, you know, a longstanding brand and one that has a loyal attachment an emotional attachment, um, it's, you know, it's pennies to, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in difference. Um, but it's actually million, billions and millions versus hundreds of thousands. Um, but, uh, but maybe Cook, you know, somebody was trying to talk him into the fact that it would be a huge win business-wise. I think he would have figured out that you take that name away. Now, keep in mind, th- this is actually, and I'm just thinking about this, because I know we've talked about this over the years. Coming off three Super Bowls and trying to pull something like that off is different than 20 you know, years of mediocre to subpar results, bad results, really, and then trying to pull it. Because really, the only thing that kept people attached to this franchise was kind of that emotional brand attachment to it uh, as they were losing. And I think there would have been a better chance for the business not to be impacted to do it from a position of strength, which would have been winning. Now, what Len's suggesting is that it was close to the end of his life, which was, when did he pass? 96? I think he passed in 96. 97. He passed in 97. I think think so. So... uh, uh, you know, they had lost for, you know, five years in a row anyway, but still the, the memories of, you know, three Super Bowls and four trips and, in, in, you know, a short period of time under Gibbs still existed. But I thought that that was, that really surprised me. The way you said it about Edward Bennett Williams with more of a progressive left leaning, that, that wouldn't have surprised me, but Cook really right. surprised me. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. All right. So we're at the end of the Snyder era here. Uh, on radio yesterday, um, I I asked the question, you know, uh, when was it that you knew for sure 
that Snyder was going to be trouble for the franchise. And I'll just share with you kind of my thoughts on this, and then I want yours. I've talked for years about the biggest football mistake that Dan ever made. And to me, I don't even know if there's a close second, but it was firing Marty Schottenheimer after one season. Because I think what happened was is, you know, he hires Spurrier. Eventually, Gibbs comes back. That's probably the single best thing he ever did was hiring Gibbs for a second go-around. Um, but even when he fired Marty, it's not like I knew the organization was doomed. Like, I was pissed off because I just couldn't believe that a guy that had won eight out of the final 11 games um, with Tony Banks at quarterback um, and a guy that, you know, was a proven winner, you know, at that point already uh, in Cleveland and in Kansas City. And I'm convinced that Marty would have won uh, lots of games here. They would have won divisions. They would have been in the playoffs a lot during his time here. Um, I don't know what they would have done in the playoffs. We've talked about it many times. Marty, you know, un- had some bad luck in the postseason for sure and probably choked up a little bit in the offseason as well. He's 5-13 and 13 as a playoff coach. That's why he's not, you know, in the Hall of Fame, although I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, Don Coryell never got to a Super Bowl. He's in the Hall of Fame. Marty's seventh on the all-time wins list, and he's like ninth on the all-time win percentage. Um, and he did it with multiple well, Marty- teams. Marty is on the list of. I know uh, he's been on that list. Senior uh, that was just released by the Hall of Fame is eligible and and up for consideration. Marty and Mike both should be in. That's my opinion. But anyway, yes. that's that's the biggest mistake. But I wasn't like I, I can't go back like some of you people can and say, oh, once they went after Deion Sanders and Bruce Smith and Jeff George, I knew we were doomed. I knew. It. No, you didn't. I don't believe that, really. Um, Because once Gibbs came back, everybody was on board with that. Everybody thought that was going to work. For me, Tommy, the, the first time as a lifelong, passionate fan, I remember being in the stadium in October of 2009. They were playing the Chiefs at FedEx Field. And... This was the the final year of Zorn, and you and I spent some time with with Jim Zorn. Um, And we knew how completely uh, discombobulated that whole thing was with him, with your your experience meeting him in the parking lot when he was talking to his wife saying, no, honey, the head coaching job, Um, to him complying in 2009, all of those things. It was a disaster. But sitting in that stadium when the score, it was a one-score game. It was 9-6 to six in the second half. And the stadium emptied at halftime. Beautiful day. They were 2-3. and three. It's October. The season's far from over. And I remember coming in the next day with you, I'm sure, and saying, it's gone from anger to now apathy. And that's a major problem. And it's all because of this owner and his friend and, uh, you know, Vinny Serrato, general manager. And if he doesn't come to the realization that he's not a football person and hire a football person and get out of the way, this thing is doomed. And I don't think he will. Um, And I just remember that season that followed. uh, Man, you and I had Zorn on early, and I asked him if he was – 
if if the, I think it was week two, if the game was a must win, and he got yes. so pissed. Um, yes. And uh, and and you know it ended with with Sherm Lewis, the bingo caller. That was true rock bottom number one, where I think a lot of longtime fans, and I would put myself into that group, realized this is a disaster. He's the problem more than anybody else, and he's probably not going to change. You know, I mean, I remember that. I I, I remember that. There's so many seminal moments, so many moments that were red flags. The Marty firing, I mean, there have been so many, I mean, countless screw-ups and ridiculous moves. But the Marty firing, since it happened early in his ownership tenure, you know, that was an opportunity to change the direction of the franchise for years to come. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, and, and for him to embrace the idea of stepping away and letting the football person be in charge of the football team. That was the, opportu- that was the window right there. But he wasn't you know, having remember, any fun. He fired, look, I mean, he fired Norv Turner, and I didn't think Norv was such a great coach, but he had just won the, you know, the NFC East and, and a playoff game and uh, had them on, on a 7-6 and six record when he got fired, I think. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, and I heard the, the stories about how he harassed Norv up until right. the time that he was fired. And uh, that's when I thought that this guy's going to be a problem. I mean, when he, when he, the stories about him harassing Norv, then firing him, and trying to hire Pepper Rogers right. as the head coach yeah. at the time, that's when I knew that this guy was trouble. Uh, but, but he had the opportunity to rebound from that when, when he hired Marty. Uh, you know, the Gibbs thing is an outlier almost. Nobody thought that was a bad idea, okay? But that was that was his last gasp. I don't know. That was Snyder's last gasp. See, I, that that's where I think there's just more of an up-and-down component to his ownership. Look, the last, to me, you know... The end of 2013, when Mike gets fired and the RG3 thing falls apart, I think we knew then for sure there's no resurrecting this franchise as long as Dan is here. Um, But I think there was an up and down, more of an up and down component. Len told me yesterday, he said, uh, one of the very first uh, Q&A press conference situations with Snyder, Carl Swanson walked in and said, uh, Dan would like to be referred to as Mr. Snyder. <laughs> and he said, that's when I knew. And and Len said, I never once called him Mr. Snyder. Not once, nor would I have. Uh, and I know that, you know, we've been talking about that for years. I mean, that really gets into the whole, you know, the Napoleonic uh, complex. Um, 
uh, situation and is just utterly ridiculous over the years. And, you know, and a lot of the stories, look, the vanilla ice cream with Mike Nolan and, you know, a lot of this stuff, the, the Jeff George, the scouting Patrick Ramsey and, and forcing, you know, Spurrier to pick him, the telling Spurrier that he'd have a GM in Bethard and really he had no interest in hiring Bethard because he wanted to be the general manager um, of the team. All of that stuff was going on and a lot of that stuff we knew about, but I don't feel, I can only speak for myself. I'm not going to go back and say, oh, I knew we were doomed for good as long as he owned the team. Because when they when he hired Bruce Allen and Mike Shanahan at the and finally fired Vinny, you know, Cooley's always called it that's that was his attempt to become a good owner. But of course he couldn't help himself getting into the RG3 you know, situation, um, you know, drafting Dwayne Haskins, and we had all of these things. All the while, by the way, you've got a toxic workplace with some of the dumbest and most arrogant people in a company that that any of us had ever dealt with. Um, but I don't think uh, 2009 was the first time I really thought this thing just isn't going to work as long as he owns it. But I say that, and then I got excited about Mike. Hell, I got excited about <laughs> excited about Kirk. But I also knew at that point, as long as Dan owns the team, it's not going to happen. Somebody said to me yesterday, it was my son. My son said to me, Dad, what if Sam Howell ends up being really great? Um, and all of a sudden, the team's really good. Will Snyder get any credit for that? I'm like, no. Of course not. Why would he get credit for it? And my son said, well, he hired Ron Rivera. And they selected the quarterback of the future in the fifth round. And then I just said, and this is true, and I think you and I have talked about this, if he were owning the team, Sam Howell wouldn't thrive. He'd get he'd fuck up the relationship. Once once it became obvious that Sam Howell had some talent and might be marketable, Dan would have been in the middle of that relationship between Sam Howell yes. and his coach and Eric Bieniemy, yes. and he would have messed it up somehow. No, you're absolutely right. You know, like I, it, it, it's it's a hard thing to nail down because it's like uh, you know. It's like where where do you shoot first? There's so many targets when it comes to nailing when you know you knew the franchise was doomed. I really did think that the firing of Norv and then the attempt to hire Pepper Rogers showed me <laughs> that this guy was going to be a big big problem. Uh, Pepper but Rogers. I agree with you. I I have told people I have not written about or spoken about this franchise as a serious, legitimate football organization since the Shanahan era ended. Right. No, that's uh, that 2013 was rock bottom number two. To me, like their rock bottom one was the end of Zorn. Rock bottom two was the end of tw- was 2013. Rock bottom three was, you know, the whole Kirk fiasco. Um, and then rock bottom four was all of the allegations, all of the reporting and everything that we've, you know, seen going through the last three years. That's led us to this glorious day that's coming up that many of us will be on air for hours working our ass off to cover. Um, but you know, every time Pepper Rogers name comes up, you know who he coached in college? Oh, John Riggins. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was the head coach at Kansas. I forgot he was the when coach. When Rigo was there. I kind of remember him as the head coach of Georgia Tech. That's kind of yes. where I remember. But Pepper Rogers coached Rigo. And Rigo's I think, has always told me he's got fond memories of playing for, for Pepper Rogers. Um, yeah, no, the, the list is so long. And, God, I mean, there were so many people that a lot of people got into a lot of this stuff early on with him charging for parking for training camp and, you know, the suing of the city paper, the suing of the 87-year-old season ticket, uh, you know, woman, um, and all of the things that really proved that he was not a good person. Um, You know, the replacing of Frank Herzog with, with Larry, um, it, it, there were just a lot of things that were going on during that timeline, but I would be lying if I told you that during all of that, I was thinking, uh, look, I was, I know I was thinking this guy is definitely, you know, he's not good right now. He's learning on the job, but when he hired Gibbs, that was, and those four seasons with Gibbs, it really did feel Now, 2006, I I talked about this a little bit on the air yesterday on radio. The 2006 offseason, which was a Vinnie Dan extravaganza, um, you know, Adam Archuleta uh, letting Ryan Clark go, uh, Randall L., uh, Brandon Lloyd, um, you know, trading for T.J. Duckett near the end of the summer. I mean, Gibbs, remember, was infatuated with with free agency because he hadn't lived through that. And yes. and I think Joe let Dan and Vinny do what they wanted to do to a certain degree. Look, they got absolutely one side fleeced in the Champ Bailey for Clinton Portis deal. Clinton's one of the best players to ever play for the organization. I'll never, you know, uh, not say that. And by the way, uh, one of the great ballers on game day that we've ever had during the Snyder era. Absolutely. But you don't trade a shutdown corner for a running back straight up, let alone give a second-round pick on top of it to Denver. I mean, they were really – Agents lined up to get their clients overpaid, and teams lined up for a decade to do trades with them because they were the dumbest team by miles in the league. And that's the one regret I have about the Gibbs era is that Gibbs didn't – because if Gibbs had stepped in and told Dan – uh, no, we're not doing some of this stuff. But remember, Tommy, Gibbs was not a great GM when he was super involved with Charlie after Bobby left. Remember, they drafted no, Desmond I mean, Howard. He's the guy who wanted Desmond Howard. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and he fell in love with Jason Campbell, too. Gibbs was the one that went down to Auburn when they drafted Carlos Rogers. And when they, went, they worked out Rogers, right. he fell in love with, with Campbell. Um, so Gibbs was, you know, Gibbs, believe it or not, had a few weaknesses. And one of them, football-wise, was he really wasn't a, 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 a super keen evaluator of talent. What he did know more than anything else was the importance of team chemistry. You know, the importance of the kind of character you had to have. And that was always missing from Snyder and Vinny's evaluations of almost anybody. I mean, see Albert Hainsworth, for starters. Um, it's a long list, and uh, yeah, but it's over. It is finally over. 
Anything else on the end of the Snyder era? I mean, I, I, I wish I could look forward to reading whatever you were going to write at the end of the week, but I guess we'll have to wait until you get back from the Hemingway lookalike contest in Key West. Yeah, there you go. Don't say it so flippantly. Well, I am going to say it flippantly. You should be working. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's get to a few other things and finish up right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelley's. Well, you know, I was in Wildwood Crest this weekend, and uh, when last time I was in Shelley's back room, uh, and I've mentioned this before, they have an excellent selection of cigars. And knowing that I would soon be heading to Key West for the Hemingway Lookalike Contest, I bought some, Hem- uh, some Arturo Fuente. Uh, they have a Hemingway line of cigars, right. and I bought them at Shelley's to, to bring with me to the beach and also to bring with me to Key West. Uh, they have, like, like Cigar Aficionado, which is like the Bible for the cigar industry, puts out a list of, of the top 25 cigars every year. Shelley's has most, if not all of them, every single year. Uh, they have a great selection of cigars uh, to choose from. I got... The Hemingway Classic Perfecto, the Hemingway Signature, and the Hemingway Classic. Wow. I got several Sounds of like... each while I was at, at, at Shelley's. What did they, uh, what did the they cost? the Fuente line. Huh? What did they cost? Well, I mean, they cost anywhere between 10 and $20, depending on which one you get. Okay. You know? Not too outrageous. Not too bad. And uh, I wanted, you know, I wanted to get in the mood. For this Hemingway contest, I wanted to, you know, prepare myself for it. So I figured, why not smoke uh, some of the Hemingway uh, c- cigar lines right. that uh, Arturo Fuente had? And uh, so I, you know, it's funny in Wildwood, you can't smoke anywhere around the hotel. Okay, so they have benches at the end of the streets, right by the beach. Uh, so I always would sit on a bench uh, to have a smoke. Yeah. And uh, all the benches have, they have these plaques on them because they're all dedicated to somebody. You know, a family member donates money to have a bench dedicated to them. And all week I sat on a bench that was dedicated to the late, great Benji Haas. I have no idea who he is, but his family loved him enough to uh, name a bench after him. 
So I feel obligated to at least mention his name since I smoked on his bench all weekend. I'm glad you did. Uh, smoking cigars from Shelley's back room. Shelley's at 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. Um, I have a question for you, and it's something you said when you were talking about you know not working um, during one of the most important weeks in D.C. sports history. What are the biggest sports stories that weren't games, that weren't the results of games? I just made a quick list, and I'm sure I'm missing some. Because this is on the list, Snyder leaving. Snyder selling the team is probably top five. But let me just give you a couple that I just came up with. The hiring of Lombardi was a massive deal, right? Huge. Yeah. Okay. Bobby Mitchell integrating the Redskins, huge. Um, Michael Jordan joining the Wizards as a part owner and team president slash GM was massive. Gibbs coming back the second go-round would be on the list. I've written a couple of other things down that I don't think would make the list, but you know the drafting of RG3 was a super exciting moment. He was the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, he was a quarterback. He was a star. Um, what am I missing from the list of the biggest sports stories in D.C. sports history that are not game-related? Oh, the Nats coming the back to D.C. Ba- baseball coming back. The return of baseball to Washington. Yep. Yes. Uh, a Poland building an arena in downtown D.C. Okay, yep. And, and the Wizards and the Cats moving downtown. Changed the city. It did. It really did. I mean, yeah. I. so what's number one? What else have we forgotten? Give me some of the... Well, to me, it's baseball. To me, number one is baseball coming back to D.C. I mean, you know, I mean, to me, that will always be number one. Uh, I mean, it, 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 the city had tried so many times to get a team. Uh, you know, baseball had not let a team move since they let the Senators move to Texas in 1970, after the 71 season. It just seemed like, and, and with the Orioles right up the road, it just seemed like it never would happen. When it finally did, to me, that, I mean, that's the biggest story. Not having to do with uh, an athletic event in sports in the past 50 years. That's big. I mean, I, that's, that's really big. Imagine this city still without baseball. I mean... 34 years, but imagine that it would be another, you know, 18 on the 34. Imagine 52 years without baseball in a top six market, top seven market in the country. That's insane yeah. to consider. Yeah. Uh, Len Bias' and, death. And Len Bias' death. Len Bias' death. That was an, an, an unbelievably national impact story that happened locally here. Absolutely. What else are we... Th- we uh, Missing. Non-game related. Non-game athletic event because related. Number one is probably Riggins' run to beat the Dolphins in Super Bowl Seventeen. That's the moment. But I, but there's so many of the game moments in championship moments. Not a lot of them. Um, 
but well, the uh, Braden Holtby uh, save yeah, in the Stanley Game Cup two. Finals, yeah. the Howie Kendrick home run, sure. Uh, the Strasburg Stra- game, the Strasburg game six pitching performance. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of them. Yeah, but in terms of non-game stuff, I think we got a lot of them, right? Um, you know, I'm just thinking I'm about sure this we're... Maryland's probation. That's not a you know that that was the, Maryland essentially getting the death penalty for you know. Bob Wade giving Rudy Archer a ride to class was one of the worst injustices we've ever seen in terms of the penalizing of college programs. But whatever, um, that wouldn't be on the the short list here. I, I think, I think you may have talked me into the return of baseball, but I don't know. Is that bigger than Snyder leaving the most important team in town and giving the team essentially the team the, the, this city getting its team back after a quarter of a century? Because you didn't have baseball for 34 years, but for all intents and purposes, you really didn't have football for 24. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. You know, uh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say the return of baseball. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what else did we have on our list here of things to talk about? Um, you wanted to talk about Otani. Well, actually, I mean, he, before he, before the show started, you 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 asked me if I did. You have Mike Rizzo on the show? I did, Tommy. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. And remember, the next time I you say, "Did I, you read I, my I column?" I didn't listen. I I didn't listen. I know you, know, you didn't. I don't even listen to the podcast. <laughs> I did a podcast for two years. We never listened. Both cigars and curveballs. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't listen to one episode. <clears throat> the t- well, I mean, if I'm being truthful, I will go back and listen to, to this podcast periodically, but I don't listen to it every day. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and do it and then go back and listen to a, you know another hour of it. I, I listen to it a lot when I'm editing it and at the end. But I do periodically just for quality assurance because I am also the quality assurance person here. At the, uh, at the at the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. Um, all right, what did you want to say about? See, I don't like what the, did you want to say about Otani? I don't like, like what are we going to what, what, what are we going to do? Is he are they going to trade him or not? Well, first of all, what I like to do, uh, and I do this with my writing too. I don't like to plow the same ground twice. Mm-hmm. So that's that's generally my philosophy. <laughs> Unless it's really Ohtani big ground is to plow. An amazing Otani is an amazing dilemma. Because the Angels are not that much out of the playoff picture. Right. You know? And uh, that's what really complicates it. If they were like 10 games under 500 or something like that, then to me, and you know you're not going to sign Otani, if they know that, then you got to trade him. Well, they are five and a but, half out now in the wild card. They're a game below 500. I know that. I, at, at this point of the season... Five and a half out is nothing mm-hmm. to me. Okay, I, I would not. I would not trade that guy five and a half games out of the wild card. I just wouldn't do it. If I cared about my fans, and now I don't know if Mike Trout, if or when Mike Trout's coming back from his injury, 
Uh, but uh, I wouldn't trade him uh, with the wild card still up in the air. You know, this is what happened to the Orioles. Like, and this is what you know. One of the problems with Peter Angelos back in '96, uh, which was only the second year of the wild card, the Orioles were, I don't know, maybe nine games out of first place uh, in '96 in the middle of the season, right around the trade deadline. Right. But they were only like four or five games out of the wild card. Yeah. And Pat Gillick. Uh, who's the greatest baseball GM in history, wanted to trade Bobby Bonilla, wanted to trade David Wells for some prospects, because that's what he did back then. If your team was not going to, you know, win the division, you trade these players and you get some prospects. But the wild card changed everything, because they were in within striking distance. So Angelo said, no, you're not going to trade those guys. And he turned out, one of the few times he turned out to be right. They wound up winning the wild card the last weekend of the season. I went to, I went to some of those games against the Indians. Series. I remember that series against huh? the Indians. I, I went to a couple of those games against the Indians at Camden yeah. Yards. So I mean, I think if you're the Angels Is owner, that the Jeffrey Meyer postseason against the Yankees? That. Is that the Jeffrey Meyer or the Jeffrey Mayer um, postseason against the Yankees? Yes. It is, yes, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 Um, I think you've got to consider that. I know you may look foolish letting the most – valuable commodity we've seen in baseball in decades to walk away for nothing but you got a shot at a wild card you got to you got to take that shot i i think i think it's for, first of all i just it i can't imagine um not that this is going to be it's all about the kids um comment i just can't imagine being a kid in la uh and being an angels fan uh living in orange county and trying to make sense out of they're doing what they're trading the greatest two-way player uh one of the greatest players in talents we've ever seen it doesn't make any sense but i i do think tommy the expansion of the postseason you know you know now three wild cards six total teams in in each league and we saw last year the phillies as a wild card team made you know a run to the world series you know these are these are the baseball playoffs, like we've said about the hockey playoffs. There's a certain randomness to it. I mean, you get a couple yeah. of really good pitching performances. I mean, no matter how great Atlanta is right now, and they are, I mean, having just a ridiculous season right now, you know, in a best of seven, uh, it's very possible that somebody could pitch three, you know, two pitchers could pitch four great games for the opponent and they could get knocked out. We see that this happen all the time. Um, now, there are a lot of teams in that American League race. Look at the American League East alone. The Yankees now, as after last night, they've lost a couple in a row. They are now in last place, five games I above know. 500. It's amazing. Um, it, this is going to go down as probably the greatest division aggregate win total in baseball history. Uh, but anyway, they're they're sitting there with one, two, three teams in front of them um, before they get to the Astros, who right now are holding down the third wild card uh, behind the Orioles and the Jays. Um, I I don't know what to say. I guess if I were, you know, if I were an Angels fan, I'd say I understand what we can get back for him, and it might ultimately set this franchise up. And we didn't win anything with Trout before he got here. Um, 
I don't know. I, I'd like to see it play out with him the rest of the year, I think. But yeah, I think most people would tell so would you I, but... if you're going to lose him, you got to get as much as you can get, can get for him right now. Now, there's always the godfather credo of making somebody offer they can't refuse. Yeah. I mean, if you're the Phillies, let's say, or the Astros, or another team like that, Otani could be the difference maker between a World Series for a World Series. So if you're a team that's in competition and contending right now, you, you're trying to put together a package that the Angels can't turn down. That's the other side of it. <clears throat> yeah. You give up more than you ever would give up for a rental player because he's a rental. You only have him for this year, but all you got. But if you win the World Series, it, it will always be worth it. Where does he want to play? I, I, I'll just to be honest. I have not followed the Otani sweepstakes here, approaching the trade deadline. Where does he want to play next year if he were to become an unrestricted free agent, which he will become even if he is traded? Where does he want to play? Yes. You know, I don't know. I mean, there, there's the usual suspects of the Dodgers, uh, the Yankees, the Mets. You know, there's only certain teams that can pay uh, a player of this magnitude. Uh, so uh, those are three that come to mind. Can the Angels uh, right afford there. him or not? That's a good question. I don't know mm-hmm. if they can or not next year. It's five hundred uh, million, right? We're, we're looking player, at though. we're looking at a half a billion dollar player. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, I tell you where he's not going to play in Washington. <laughs> no. Although they beat the Cubs last night, I mean they've actually played really well recently. Um, even I know. the games now they're only eighteen games under five hundred. <laughs> I, I know, I know, but they've been. They've been a competitive, feisty bunch for a team that doesn't really have enough right now, or what they have is just you know too young right now. Uh, yes. Rizzo talked and about that with me last to... week. It was really a good conversation. We both we both like yeah. Mike a lot. He is clearly the best uh, general manager in this town for a long time, and I hope they figure yeah. this thing out with him with the contract coming. Yeah, him and Davey both because yeah. I think Davey gets a lot of the credit. For the way this team has played, right, competitively. I mean, there, there's, there's. I mean, you, you don't see any signs of quit or or frustration or anything on on the field from this team. All right, will you be posting on social media from Key West? Um, what, what? How can we follow the uh, the effort to become Ernest Hemingway's? Number one lookalike. Well, I will be posting uh, items about myself, of course. Yeah. Uh, I won't be posting. I may not be posting anything related to the huge news that's happening back in Washington D.C. <laughs> because I'll be consumed right. with myself. <laughs> right. Because at that point, because there'll be a vote, and we'll be celebrating. By the way, uh, Thursday down at the bullpen, right next to Nats Park, uh, the radio station is hosting a Burgundy and Sold 
party. Uh, everybody knows the bullpen right next to Nats Park, Half Street, um, down uh, down downtown in Southeast. Uh, I'll be there. Everybody from the radio station will be there. The guys from the other station will be there. Live music, drinks, food trucks, etc. Please come down. There's so many of you that I haven't seen in a long time or I haven't met. Um, and uh, 4.30, doors open, bullpen Thursday for the biggest day in D.C. sports history, certainly in a long time where, you know, anybody who's anybody in town will either be on the air talking about it or writing about it for sure. Um, Except me. <laughs> all right, have a good time, uh, and we will reconvene next week. Okay, boss. All right. Uh, tomorrow, Andy Poland's going to jump on with me uh, on what should be the last day, maybe the last day that Dan Snyder owns the football team. Thursday will be the last day. Um, maybe Friday, depending on when they close. But Andy will be on with me and maybe another guest as well. Have a good day. So I'm curious, <clears throat> is anyone hiring Rudy Giuliani, Howard Shapiro, and Mary Jo White? Can they get a special audience with the DOJ to plead their case, or is that just billionaires with their names on museums? That's cute, John. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.